We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And away we go, episode 75 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. And yes, this is episode 75. We are three quarters of the way to 100. Episode 100 of this podcast is fast approaching. Life moves quickly. Well, this Wednesday is a special day. It is a day on which Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are due to be speaking. Yes, Don Ron and JDR will be at the mic in Zoom press conferences following the Washington football team's OTA practice on Wednesday. Wednesday also is a day after which the losing streaks ended. The Nationals' five-game losing streak over. 
The Orioles, 14-game losing streak. Over. Although for the Nats, a very mixed Tuesday night because Steven Strasburg is hurt again. Unbelievable. I know. Can't the Nats have at least one feel-good night? What should be a day of joy off an 11-6 Nats win at the Atlanta Braves, a game in which Juan Soto actually hit a homer and had a big game, instead also must include another conversation about Strasburg and his health and the contract. Tightness in his right trapezius muscle. I hope your right trapezius muscle is doing well on this Wednesday. We don't know the severity of this latest Strasbourg ailment, but you know what? The severity almost doesn't matter. We just know that there is an ailment again with this guy. I'll talk Nationals and also, yes, Orioles later in the show. Both teams winning on the same night. That almost never happens this season. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I do have a lot for you on the Washington football team on this show. Special guest Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. He has written a column advocating for Taylor Heineke, not Ryan Fitzpatrick, to be Washington's starting quarterback in week one of the 2021 season. Now, I am among those who are very open to Taylor Heineke. More open than I think most people, especially those in the media are. So Michael's column caught my attention. He'll be on with me in just a bit. Also, how about the hiring that the Washington football team announced on Tuesday morning? Dr. Barbara Roberts hired as the team's first full-time director of wellness and clinical services. This to me is a progressive and very smart hire And not just for human reasons. Let's bottom line this for the thing we care about the most, okay? And that is the football. Uh, I believe that there are football reasons to like this hire. I'll explain coming up next segment. Is Wednesday night the end of the line for the Wizards? I'll preview game five of the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. We'll get into the latest on Davi Spurtons, Joel Embiid, and much more. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Mark regarding our conversation on Tuesday's show about Chase Young and Montez Sweat no-showing the voluntary OTA practices last week. And by the way, multiple reports on Tuesday that Sweat was at the team facility on Tuesday for the start of the second and final week of OTA practices. So it looks like at least Sweat is showing up for week two of OTA practices. But tweeted Mark, Sweat didn't show up for the OTAs, no problem. On the other hand, Captain Young should have been there. As a U.S. Air Force veteran, I understand that leadership is important. Yeah, I think Young having been a captain last season does play into this. I talked about this on Tuesday's installment of the show. Like I said, I'm not mad at Chase Young. I don't see this as like a sign of, oh my God, Chase Young is a problem or anything like that. I just think it would be nice if he was there. I'd I'd like to know like why, what's the reason not to be there? Like what is so bad about being there? But Chase Young will be just fine. I'm not, you know, I don't lose sleep over uh, this kind of a thing. In fact, there was a video on social media making the rounds on Tuesday of Chase Young sprinting like a freak. Okay, because that's what he is. He's an athletic freak. He will be in shape. Uh, he will be in full force this upcoming season. I am very excited to see what Chase Young does in his second season. Got this tweet from Mike Puckett about the Nationals and the Strasburg situation. Says Mike, can't say whether or not the Stras over Rendon decision was better, but with the injury sessions we go through with Stras, 
I think we should have been a little bit more hard on the price tag for his contract. It's like the people in charge finally got what they wanted out of their pride and joy, despite him being an injury risk. So they paid him without seeing the risk or decided to sweep the risk under the rug and pat themselves on the back because their golden child got a ring. Well, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily that. There were reasons to advocate for the Nats to re-sign Strasburg. Look, I advocated for the Nats to re-sign Strasburg after that 2019 season, but there's no doubt it was a risk. And, and, and I said at the time, like there definitely was a risk. You were giving a lot of money to a guy already in his 30s with a substantial injury history and someone who had already accumulated a good bit of mileage on his arm. But you figured, okay, this has worked out with Max Scherzer. Steven Strasburg was very durable in 2019. Perhaps he had figured some things out. You remember, Steven Strasburg has become more of a pitcher over the years, so it's not like he's just solely fastball reliant. Well, so far, the contract has been a complete mess. There are no two ways about it. I'm going to talk a lot about that later on in the show. If only the Nats had some flexibility when it comes to what they're paying Strasburg. Like, what if you could adjust seven years for $245 million based on the guy's availability and performance. Sadly, you do not have payment flex when it comes to what the Nationals are paying Steven Strasburg. Uh, but you know that Ron Rivera has his position flex and the best real estate agent in the area, John Granlund of Real Broker, aka John G, he has commission flex. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. Truth be told, it's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. The way that commissions have been determined for years is ridiculous. That's changing. John Grandland is leading the way. Let John Grandland put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John Grandland has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including, get this, Selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right. For free, some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. You got nothing to lose. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly. And when you interview John Grandlin, there is never any obligation to list or sell. John Grandlin is a big Washington football team fan, big Nationals fan. Boy, does John Grandlin have some ideas about what the Nats should do. He is a loyal listener of this podcast. Do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. Let him help you to maximize the sale of your home and you decide the commission. Again, commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. Call John Grandlin at 703-537-6747. That's 703-537-6747. Or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandland. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home. Well, it's funny sometimes how things will line up in sports. One of the big topics nationally over the last few days has been this Naomi Osaka situation in tennis, right? How she has withdrawn from the French Open. She's the number two ranked female player, was fined $15,000 for not speaking to reporters after her first round victory at the French Open. She then pulled out of the event entirely, saying on social media that she experiences, quote, huge waves of anxiety, end quote, before meeting with the media 
and revealing that she has, quote, suffered long bouts of depression, end quote. And as this has been a major issue in sports over the last few days, we got what we got from our Washington football team on Tuesday morning. The announcement of the hiring of Dr. Barbara Roberts as the team's first full-time director of wellness and clinical services. Who is Dr. Barbara Roberts? Well, she's a highly credentialed doctor, has a PhD in psychology, was a clinical associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Georgetown University Medical Center, April 2004 to June 2010. She remains as a member of the adjunct faculty. She also has served in the White House. Uh, She served in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy as a senior policy analyst and coordinator for health policy, March 1994 to August 2003. This is not some quack. Uh, This is someone with high-level credentials and a very good reputation. And this is a cutting-edge hire by the Washington football team. Understand, Dr. Roberts now is just the fourth full-time clinician with a PhD in psychology working for an NFL franchise. Now think about that. The NFL, multi-billion dollar business, 32 franchises, and just four full-time clinicians with PhDs in psychology are working for NFL franchises. Dr. Roberts's mission, per the press release that was put out by Washington, says that she will, quote, incorporate a proactive approach to handling mental health and focus on the development of a foundation for mental wellness and its impact on overall health and performance, end quote. The press release also says that she will, quote, build a system based on mental health activities that will focus on specific coping mechanisms as well as different mental behaviors that can compromise those mechanisms, end quote. And the press release says that Dr. Robert's system will, quote, include daily mental wellness work and allow players to proactively work on their mental well-being, end quote. So mental health, of course, has been an issue forever. It's only recently that mental health has started to be taken seriously as a legitimate issue in sports. You know, you think about this, countless athletes have dealt with mental health issues, including a number of D.C. area athletes. The last Washington quarterback to win a Super Bowl, Mark Ribbon, is one. Uh, The former national starting pitcher, John Patterson, is another. The former wizard, Kelly Oubre Jr., is another. And of course, there are many, many other people in and associated with sports who have dealt with mental health issues. This is not like a a big revelation here. But what stands out to me as much as anything with the Washington football team hiring Dr. Roberts is the potential for the hiring to help not just Washington's players as people, because that's an obvious and clearly very important potential benefit of the hire, but also help Washington as a team maximize what it has in its players. Put aside the human nature of all of this and just be practical, all right? Having a full-time clinician with a PhD in psychology working for the team has the potential to improve the team on the field. Happier players are going to be better players. As much as we like to think of players as machines, players are not machines. Even though Alex Ovechkin is known as the Russian machine, and as he once said, he never breaks. But players are people. We are more productive when we are happier. But here's another thing to be thinking about with the potential competitive advantage that is gained by hiring Dr. Barbara Roberts. 
Think about the players in just recent Washington football team history who seemingly have had mental health issues. And who knows if any of these players were fixable during their time with Washington. It may just be that some or all of these people were just bad people, okay? I'm not a psychologist. I can't diagnose what these people were going through. But imagine if any or all of these players had been gotten to in a way that got them to a much better place. Like, think about, for instance, Sua Cravens. Washington took Sua in the second round of the 2016 NFL draft at a USC, paid him millions of dollars, handed him the starting strong safety job for the 2017 season. He suffered a meniscus injury in the 2017 preseason opening loss at the Baltimore Ravens, underwent surgery in August 2017, and then, of course, upped and left the team on the weekend of the cutdown to 53 for the 2017 season. Washington put Sua on the exempt slash left squad list due to him contemplating retirement, then put him on the reserve slash left squad list. And this was the continuation of a pattern of unreliable behavior from Sua Cravens. Sua reportedly once went missing for three days while at USC, also while dealing with an injury. One of the things that drove me nuts about this entire situation was Washington football team insider John Kime of ESPN reporting that Washington, during the pre-draft process in 2016, didn't know about Sua having gone missing while at USC. Great due diligence, guys. Uh, Sua, during his 2016 rookie season with Washington, suffered a concussion and then on Snapchat revealed that he had permanent vision damage due to the concussion. This turned out to be a joke. Sua later in his 2016 rookie season suffered an arm injury that some thought he could have been playing through, ended up being inactive for the final three games of that season, a season in which Washington right went 8-7-1 and missed the playoffs. There was a lot of erratic and bizarre behavior by Sua Cravens during his time with the Washington football team. Washington in March 2018 traded Sua to the Denver Broncos. They cut him in late August 2019. He has been out of the NFL ever since. Were mental health issues at the core of Sua Cravens' behavior and Sua Cravens' failed NFL career? Again, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but I don't think it's wrong to wonder whether mental health played a sizable role in what happened with Sua Cravens. What about Monte Nicholson? Washington took Monte with the second to two fourth round picks in the 2017 NFL draft at Michigan State. Monte, of course, played a good bit for Washington, at least when healthy, over his three seasons with the team, 2017 through 2019. 35 regular season games with 26 starts. Washington in December 2018, though, placed Monte on the reserve slash non-football injury list off an incident in which he was arrested and charged with misdemeanor assault and battery and public intoxication slash swearing off he and a female companion allegedly attacking another couple outside of the World of Beer restaurant slash bar at One Loudon in Ashburn, uh, just minutes from Skins Park. It was, in fairness to Monte, in May 2019 that the misdemeanor assault case against him was dropped in Loudoun County Circuit Court. But then came what happened in November 2019. In the early morning hours of November 14, 2019, Monte and another man brought an unconscious and unresponsive woman, 21-year-old Julia Crabb, to a Loudoun County Hospital, Anova Emergency Room, Ashburn Healthplex. Crabb was later pronounced dead from an apparent drug overdose. Monte had been dating Crabb. 
The two had gone out to dinner with some friends before going back to Monte's residence in an Ashburn townhouse community. According to the Washington Post, which spoke with Crab's brother, Monte found Julia Crab on a bathroom floor. Monte then called not 911, but Crab's family. The Loudoun County Sheriff's Office on November 15, 2019, said that Monte and the other man who dropped off Crab at the hospital did not place a call to 911. Crab's father, Herman, told the Washington Post in a piece that was published on November 15, 2019, that he had not heard from Monte since Julia's death. Then on November 19, 2019, we learned from a search warrant filed in Loudoun County Circuit Court and obtained by multiple media outlets that pills, marijuana, and foil with residue were found in Monte's residence during a police search following the death of Julia Crabb. The warrant did not specify to whom the drugs belonged. Monte, in fairness, has never actually been charged with anything. Washington released Monte in March 2020 as part of the initial purge of the roster in the Ron Rivera era. Monte has been out of the NFL ever since. Again, were mental health issues at the core of some of this stuff that went on or all of this stuff that went on with Monte Nicholson? I do not know. I do not pretend to know. But I don't think you're wrong to wonder. How about Darius Geis? Washington took Geis in the second round of the 2018 NFL draft out of LSU. Washington, of course, released Geis in August 2020 hours after his arrest on five domestic violence-related charges, one felony and four misdemeanors. The felony was one count of strangulation, although the strangulation charge got dropped this past January. And actually, there was some news on Tuesday regarding Darius Geis. He has reached a tentative agreement with his former girlfriend. That agreement could result in the dismissal of the four misdemeanor counts related to the alleged domestic assaults perpetrated by guys. So perhaps Darius Geis is headed toward being cleared legally. We'll see. But among the many things that emerged about Geis in the aftermath of his arrest was that he was the subject of at least four sexual misconduct complaints in less than a two-year span while at LSU. USA Today in August 2020 reported that two former LSU students said that Geis raped them just months apart in 2016, though each woman said that she was highly intoxicated at the time. USA Today in March 2021 detailed guys having allegedly sexually harassed a grandmother in December 2017. Read the article, quote, 74-year-old Gloria Scott remembers vividly the day in December 2017 that Darius Geis and his friends approached her while she was sitting. She glanced up and they stopped right in front of her. I like to F women like you, you older women, because y'all know y'all like us young men to F y'all, Scott said, guys told her, and you know you want this body. Scott was shocked, she said. Guys kept making vulgar comments while rubbing his body up and down from his chest to his genitals. She said she asked guys to move away and leave her alone, but he refused. He had a big grin on his face, she said, and his friends were on his sides laughing This went on for a few minutes, Scott said, end quote. Does that sound like the behavior of a mentally healthy human being? Again, it may well be that the issues of Sua Cravens, Monte Nicholson, and Darius Geis were more about character than mental health. These may have just been bad people 
as opposed to people with mental health issues. You can't just excuse all bad behavior to mental health. But it's not exactly a quantum leap to think that each of these guys had serious mental problems. You're not exactly grasping at straws in suggesting that Sua Cravens, Monte Nicholson, and Darius Geis each had a few screws loose. And so what if the Washington football team had had the infrastructure to deal with guys with serious mental health issues when Cravens, Nicholson, and Geis were on the team? Maybe everything ends up happening exactly as it ended up happening. But then again, maybe not. Look, mental health is tricky. A lot of it is biological, i.e. having to do with chemicals in your brain. A good chunk of mental health is environmental i.e. your upbringing. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to understand what's gone on in the mind of Darius Geis. I do know, though, that Darius Geis' dad was murdered in May 2003 when Darius was just five years old. You've got to think that that messes with someone. You've got to think that that has played at least somewhat of a role in Darius Geis becoming the person he's ended up becoming. And certainly, at least some of mental health, maybe a lot of mental health, is on you. You know, like sometimes you just have to persevere and plow forward. There is an element to all of this of, yeah, it may be bad what happened to you. Yeah, it may be bad how you've been influenced in the wrong ways. But at some point, you got to suck it up, take ownership of what's going on, and do what's right, and make yourself better. You know, that kind of a thing. There's a lot that we don't know about mental health. But something that we do know is that mental health is a real issue that affects people in a myriad of ways. And to me, if you as an NFL team have a high-level, full-time clinician who is adept at treating people with mental health issues, as Dr. Barbara Roberts is, that's a major competitive advantage. So I applaud the Washington football team for hiring Dr. Barbara Roberts. Again, there is the human aspect of all of this, right? This, in theory, should help to make Washington's players happier people, better people. But there's also a practical football aspect to all of this. This should help to make Washington's players better players. And this maybe, just maybe, will help to avoid the messes, if not tragedies, that have ensued from guys like Sua Cravens, Monte Nicholson, and Darius Geis. You tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, Dr. Barbara Roberts is a very well-regarded doctor, just like one of the great supporters of this podcast, Dr. George Verghese, the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. So the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. Understand, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices, in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401.
3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, so I have said for months I want an open, honest, good faith quarterback competition for the Washington football team at training camp this summer. Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke versus Kyle Allen. May the best man win. And I say this understanding that Fitzpatrick is the favorite to be Washington's QB1 in week one. Ron Rivera has already said that Fitzpatrick is beginning practices this offseason as Washington's QB1. So Fitzpatrick is likely to be Washington's starting quarterback to begin the 2021 season. But should that be the case, a man who says no is the man who joins me now, Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. He has written a very interesting column with the headline, The Correct QB Order in Washington is Heineke, then Fitzpatrick. Michael, you troublemaker you. How are you? <laughs> Doing great. Happy to, happy to stir the pot for you. Yeah, you are you are a pot stirrer here, but that's good. Um, so for those who haven't read the piece, and everyone listening should read the piece, again, you can find it at Richmond.com. What is the crux of your argument? Yeah, and, and you know this is genuine. I'm I'm not I'm not just stirring the pot to stir it. I, I believe it. I I think you know you you start with this finding a franchise quarterback. Most important thing you can possibly do as a team. You know you talk about all the other things, but you, you've got to find your guy going forward. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is an excellent choice to be the quarterback this year and, and bridge that gap until you find your guy. Uh, but I, I think Taylor Heineke potentially has it whatever it is. I also think it's very likely he's going to get hurt within the first few games and then not pan out. But I, I think you've got, you owe it to yourself to find out if we wind this guy up as our number one and give him the chance, can he stay durable? Can he stay out there? And can that spark last for an entire NFL season? Because that solves a lot of problems if it does. It's worth it to find out. So what you're saying isn't nuts. It, it does, though, presume an openness to Taylor Heineke potentially being a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. I personally am open to that. Do you believe that Ron Rivera is open to that? I, I think Ron Rivera and, and, more importantly, maybe here Scott Turner are, are open to that. I think they really like Kyle Allen a lot for reasons that have always confused me. Um, I think they're open to that, but I, I think Ron Rivera is – as any coaches in, in the business of winning football games. And I, I think that you can definitely make the case. And I would agree that Ryan Fitzpatrick starting is the best path to winning football games right now in 2021. It, it's very hard to get an NFL coach to budge off of that into any sort of long-term vision when his job is to win football games. You know, you know how intense it gets week to week when you're on those losing streaks. And you know, his, his job is to maximize the wins for his team right now. And Fitzpatrick is the way to do that. So you mentioned Kyle Allen. Where should he fit into the mix? He, he's my new Colt McCoy. He's a great backup. Uh, I think know, knows how to play the game, knows the system, uh, very solid. I don't see anything there that leads me to believe this guy's going to take a massive leap towards stardom or superstardom. I, I think your ceiling there is Kirk Cousins. If everything pans out correctly, if it, you know you develop him correctly, I think he turns into Kirk Cousins, and you know, or, or Jared Goff, or you know, name your guy, a very talented quarterback. Look, I, there's, there's like 20 people in the entire world that can do that, but you know, when you pick your guy long term, 
uh, you, you can't cut a check that big to a guy who doesn't lift your team at that position. The way I viewed it, and maybe this is overly simplistic, but if you go off what was said and what was done last season is Kyle Allen is Ron Rivera's guy, Taylor Heineke is Scott Turner's guy. Do you see it that way, that Ron maybe is more of a Kyle guy than a Taylor guy and Scott vice versa? The only reason I wouldn't go along with that is because Scott does like Kyle Allen a lot and, and certainly made, made the moves to bring him in uh, to Washington and signed off on that. So uh, I think they're both Scott Turner guys, um, but I, I would agree with you that Ron probably leans a little bit more heavily to the Kyle side. Talking with Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com, his most recent column headline, the correct QB order in Washington is Heineke then Fitzpatrick. So what about what I mentioned at the top here, the idea of an open, honest, good faith quarterback competition, what Ron Rivera did not do last August, but said that he should have done. And you just have it be Fitzpatrick versus Heineke versus Allen may the best man win. Would you be in favor of that? Do you think we'll get anything close to that? I I don't think we'll get that because I think it's so important you know, you think about it, how short these time periods are. It's going to end up being three weeks of this offseason on-field work, and then training camp's going to be really short this year, too. It's so important to get the starter as many snaps as you possibly can. There's just not going to be an equitable distribution of snaps. It's not going to be, all right, you know, first team's out there. Here, here's a third of the snaps for you, a third of the snaps for you, a third of the snaps for you. It, yeah, it's just not a great way to get Fitzpatrick ready for the season. So I, I don't foresee that happening. I love it, though. I do. I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. And look, if Taylor Heineke gets into that competition and doesn't win, I'll retract everything I said today. If, if, if in an honest and open training camp competition, Fitzpatrick beats the pants off of him, I'll, I'll stand down. That's our guy. Or same with Kyle Allen, who he picked up. I'm, I'm not exactly sending warm fuzzies his way. If he wins in an open and honest three-way comp- quarterback competition, that's awesome. I, I, I think that would be a lot of fun and very productive and a great way to see where everybody's at. Yeah, and I think it would eliminate a lot of potential problems. I know it's not easy to do a three-way quarterback competition, but we had the template last offseason for when you don't do the competition, some really bad things can happen. Why not learn from that? And you have three guys, each of whom has a legitimate case for being the starting quarterback, so let them battle it out and see what happens. Yeah, and I think particularly to Kyle Allen, the, the injury is such a big question mark. I, I'd say he's almost maybe the most known of the three in Scott Turner's offense and what he can do. Uh, but I think that question mark hanging over him is, is he fully recovered? Is he ready to go? He looked great the other week at OTAs. Obviously, we're excited to get back out there. I think we're back out there Wednesday getting to watch. Uh, you know, he looked really good in his progression. I, I've got no doubts he'll be ready to go. Uh, but you, you always want to see where the guy is after that injury. Uh, I think it'd be important to get him some snaps to figure that out. So it's interesting with your column because it's one of the few times this offseason that someone has openly advocated for Taylor Heineke. And it's so funny, right? Because Heineke was the star for a while with what he did in that playoff loss to Tampa Bay. You could argue the best quarterback game against the Bucks last postseason was by Taylor Heineke. And yet since then, it feels like everyone kind of has the same idea of, yeah, that was nice, you know, that was cute, but he's not a long-term starting quarterback. He's not a viable option to be a QB1. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's been so little Taylor Heineke conversation this offseason? I think it got so hot so fast, it almost like became a point of parody. Like, you know, because, you know, look, he played Tom Brady closer than anybody else did in the playoffs. And so, you know, we're, we're riding that for the whole month, and that that's fun, and you always... Know, 
it was a fun game. It was, it was the best I've ever felt coming out of a season in a really long time around here. And, you know, yeah, they lost to the Bucks, but I think everybody felt great about winning the division and what, what he did. And then you're, you're watching all these big name quarterbacks just totally shrink against that Tampa defense. Like, yeah, not our guy. Our guy, our guy stood tall. You know, that, that was awesome. But, but you know, after a while, that becomes like such a parody of, of itself. And people don't want to, people don't want to, you know, okay, you know, it was one game. We don't want to extrapolate that over like, he should get a $20 million a year deal or anything like that. So I think everybody's cognizant of that. I think the injury history is a very real thing, very, very real factor here. And it's, a, you know, I think for a lot of reasons, people are shying away from it. But, hey, that was, I mean, that was one of the best moments we've had around here in a while was him coming in and, and you know, really, I mean, putting on a show that night. Washington did re-sign Heineke to a two-year contract this offseason. Now, it's for very little guaranteed money. He's very cuttable. I totally concede that. But do you take anything from that, that Washington gave him a two-year deal when the team didn't have to do that? What I take is that he agreed to a deal with almost no guaranteed money. That tells me that there were not uh, a plethora of options awaiting him out there in free agency world, and and he wanted to lock down and get back in. Uh, I think that you know, and I understand why nobody would, would commit to him given the injury history. But to me, the fact that he didn't get more guaranteed money says he was pretty eager to sign whatever they put in front of him. He'd get, you know, make, make sure to lock in his roster spot and not, not tempt it too much in that free agency market. Let it, let it go on too long. When it comes to Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's obviously been around forever. He's obviously bounced around a ton. And yet you could argue his two best seasons have been his last two seasons. Like he may actually be in the midst of peaking right now. And so, yeah, Washington signed him to a one-year deal, but it is conceivable that he ends up being the starting quarterback for more than a season. What are your expectations for Fitzpatrick in 2021, assuming that he is the starting quarterback? I am. I agree with you in not ruling that out at all. I think if he leads them to a playoff appearance, I think you can make a very legitimate case or run it back, you know, if, if he truly does put up more career numbers and show that he's continuing to play well. I I don't see any reason to shy away from that if, if he delivers on the field this year. I, I, th- I think it's a very reasonable expectation. He's playing good football. He is surrounded by what I would argue is a very strong supporting cast this year. Uh, certainly the opportunity is there to do big things. There are holes. I'm not going to pretend like he's walking into the you know, greatest show on turf ramps or anything, but uh, you know he, he's got enough receiving weapons to make some plays. And look, Al, here's, here's the thing. I've been saying it all season. I'm going to keep saying it. This is going to be fun. We haven't had a fun quarterback around here uh, you know, in a long time. A guy who just slings it down the field is going to potentially make some plays. It will go bad occasionally. There will be those four interception days, but there's also going to be those four touchdown days. I think fans are really going to respond to this style of play. Yeah, there's no doubt, man. He plays the position in a manner in which so few quarterbacks in recent Washington football team history have played the position. So if nothing else, it should be a more explosive passing game. Final moments with Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. I ask you some version of this every time I talk to you, but you know the issue as well as anyone. Uh, here we are now in the month of June. It's still not certain where training camp will be. We had sort of a reigniting of the idea of training camp being back in Richmond this summer. What are you hearing? What do you think is going to happen? We we are caught up in the proverbial red tape of bureaucracy here. Uh, there, there's uh, The NFL has a process for getting remote training camps approved, uh, make sure everything is, is compliant with whatever their version of COVID 
protocols are going to be. The NFLPA, the Players Association, is still in negotiations on what exactly that ramp-up period is going to look like, what the format of those practices are going to look like. They're collectively bargaining that with the league. Uh, my understanding is there's still a, you know, I don't even know if desire is strong enough of a word, but there's still a desire to be in Richmond for at least a portion of this year's training camp. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of clearing all those red tapes up, but, but I don't get the sense anybody's going to stand in the way of it. Okay, so that's interesting. So you could see it maybe being like a split location for training camp, part of it in Ashburn, part of it in Richmond. And you, you got to keep in mind here, you know, they, there's the, only three preseason games this year, so the schedule doesn't break down maybe as cleanly as it would in past years in terms of, you know, there was always that two-week period, then the preseason period, then the games. I, I think coaches will structure it differently this year. You know, I, whichever game you pick to be your dress rehearsal game, you're probably going to want to be in the facility in Ashburn that week for that game to give everybody, you know, kind of the, the truest look at the game week prep. So I, I think that could be as much of a factor as anything here. And the city of Richmond still wants training camp in some form or fashion in the city? Their stance remains the same, uh, which is which it's been this whole time, which is they would love to host the team. They're tired of paying the team to be here. So, uh, yes, the team uh, is welcome to come. They would love for them to come, uh, but they're done cutting the checks. And, and my understanding is everybody's on board with that on both sides, that the team still wants to come uh, as a way to reach out to that that portion of the fan base. Yeah, $500,000 doesn't buy what it used to, that's for sure. <laughs> when it comes to camp. Great stuff with the column. Appreciate your time so much. Michael Phillips, Washington football team insider for Richmond.com. All the best, man. You bet. All right, guys, if you love listening to me on the Al Galdi podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about D.C. area sports, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. It has never happened in the NBA playoffs, a team coming from down 3-0 to win a series. If the Wizards are going to be the first team to ever do that, A, that would be so fitting for this team this season, given how Jekyll and Hyde the team has been. B, that requires a win on Wednesday night. Otherwise, it is season over for the Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, that team, our team, Wizards at the Philadelphia 76ers, Wednesday night at 7 in Game 5 in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Wiz now trail in the series 3-1, thanks to Monday night's 122-114 win over the Sixers at Capital One Arena. Two injury updates from Tuesday. One, Davies Bertans is done, at least for now. Uh, Wiz should have him back for the NBA Finals. 
the damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Uh, but no, no more Davies Berton. So he and that Wizards win in game four at Capital One Arena on Monday night went three of six on threes and finished with 15 points and four rebounds in 23 minutes, two seconds as a starter. Berton's was terrific in the first quarter, two of three on threes, 12 points, but he left the game in the second half due to a right calf strain. ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on Tuesday tweeted that Berton suffered a grade two right calf strain and is expected to miss four to six weeks. The Wizards on Tuesday indeed declared Berton's as being out for game five. This concludes a very disappointing season for Davies Berton's. Wizards last November re-signed Berton's to a five-year, $80 million contract. I was in favor of this. I will not be a phony about this. Bertans had a terrific 2019-2020 regular season, during which he averaged a career-best 24.6 points per 100 possessions, shot 42.4% on threes, ranked tied for seventh in the NBA at the time of the pausing of the season. Bertans' 200 made threes in the 2019-2020 regular season were the fifth most in a season in Bullets last Wizards history. But Bertans, this past regular season, showed up out of shape, dealt with nagging injuries, and ultimately shot just 37.3% on threes. And, you know, with some of what went down this past regular season, I mean, to me, it really was inexcusable. Bertans was out of shape to begin the season. He, after a 115-107 loss to the Chicago Bulls at Capital One Arena on December 29th, admitted to still only being at 60 or 70% in terms of conditioning. That, to me, was an outrage. And Bertans ended up being banged up for a decent amount of the season. Bertans missed seven consecutive games this past March and April due to a right calf strain. So this is the second time that a right calf strain has plagued Bertans this season. And Bertans now has a pretty substantial history of leg injuries. Understand, Bertans tore his right ACL twice before coming to the NBA in 2016. Tore his right ACL in June 2013, then tore the right ACL again in March 2015. Next season will be his age 29 season and year two of, again, a five-year, $80 million contract. Davies has a lot of work to do to make that contract look like a good one. The other injury update from Tuesday is that there really was no update regarding Joel Embiid. Uh, So Joel Embiid in the Wizards game four win at Capital One Arena on Monday night played for just 11 minutes, 24 seconds, did not play over the final three quarters due to right knee soreness. You'll remember the play if you saw it, right? He in the first quarter crashed to the floor of driving to the rim on Robin Lopez, continued to play, but then did not play after the end of the first quarter. And it was odd, and I still think it's odd. Embiid looked like he may have injured his back, maybe even his rear end, but the 76ers announced him as having been ruled out for the rest of the game due to right knee soreness, and we still don't know much more than that. Wojnarowski on Tuesday tweeted that Embiid will be doubtful for Game 5, per sources. Embiid had an MRI exam on his right knee on Tuesday, was expected to be evaluated further in the next day. You do wonder to what extent gamesmanship is going on here. Teams play games with injuries in the postseason. Everybody understands that. The Wizards, to an extent, have been playing games when it comes to Russell Westbrook and this sprained right ankle. Westbrook was listed as a game-time decision for the last two games. Games three and four ended up playing. It was funny. On Tuesday, the Wizards initially listed Russell Westbrook as questionable for game five, and then later in the day, updated Russell Westbrook's status to no longer being questionable 
for game five. So I guess the Wizards figured, what's the point? Everyone knows that Westbrook is going to play. And what's so funny about Westbrook with the sprained right ankle is that his two best games in the series have been his last two games. So since he suffered the sprained right ankle, he's actually had his two best games in the series, games three and four, even though he's been far from perfect in those games. Remember, three for 19 was Westbrook from the field in the game four win at Capital One Arena on Monday night. So we still don't know exactly what the Embiid injury is, but if he doesn't play in game five, that is obviously a major positive development for the Wizards. If the Wizards are going to do what has never been done in the NBA playoffs, overcome a 3-0 deficit to win a series, something like Embiid getting injured has to happen. And it has happened. And if he's out for game five and maybe possibly the rest of the series, this is a different series, man. I mean, that was a different game on Monday night without Embiid on the floor. The Wizards outscored the 76ers after Embiid left the game for good, 95-85. The Wizards centers went to work without Embiid in the game. Daniel Gafford, who started game four in a big lineup change for head coach Scott Brooks, 12 points, 4-4 shooting, 4 rebounds, 5 blocks in exactly 26 minutes as a starter. And Gafford has been productive with Embiid on the floor, that is true. But you got to think Gafford benefited from Embiid not being there. Certainly Gafford was able to avoid getting into foul trouble without Embiid being there. Robin Lopez, for the first time in this series, got going in game four. Lopez, 16 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 5 rebounds, 2 blocks, and 18.59 off the bench. Alex Len barely played off the bench, just a minute 23 seconds of playing time for him in game four. But two heads of the Wizards' three-headed center monster were cooking in game four. Wizards out-rebounded the 76ers in game four, 57-48. So clearly, no Embiid is a big-time gain for the Wizards if, in fact, Embiid is out for game five. Two other things to be thinking about for game five on Wednesday night. We still, to me, have not seen Bradley Beal have a truly great game in this series. It's not like he's been awful but he has not been at his best. And I thought game four in a lot of ways captured that. Beal in the game, two of five on threes. You like that. But he went to seven of 18 on twos. He committed seven turnovers. You know, we have yet to see that five-star Bradley Beal performance in this series. We have yet to see Bradley Beal go off in this series like we know he can. And it's not easy. The 76ers are an elite defensive team. The 76ers are taking it to Bradley Beal. Beal's having to earn everything he gets in this series. But if Bradley Beal is the elite scorer we know him to be, he can rise above this. He can overcome this and have a truly special game in this series. We have not seen that yet. Perhaps we see that. Hopefully we see that in game five. Another thing for game five is that the Wizards have got to bring it defensively as they did in game four. The Wizards were horrendous defensively in game three. The 132-103 loss to the 76ers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. The Wizards in that game allowed the Sixers to go 17 of 33 on threes and 34 of 54 on twos. Compare and contrast that with what went down in game four on Monday night. The Wizards were so much better defensively, held the Sixers to 12 of 38 on threes, held three 76ers starters, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Seth Curry to a combined one of 11 on threes. The Wizards finished with 12 blocks, including the five by Gafford. This is what drives you nuts with the Wizards. It's not that they can't be good defensively. It's that they choose not to be good defensively. We saw them play well defensively in game four. They've got to bring that defensive intensity in game five. You know that the 76ers will. The Sixers are a great defensive team. The Wizards are not, but that doesn't mean that they can't play good defense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For a second consecutive game. This still, amazingly so, can be a series. It, of course, all hinges on what happens in Game 5. Because if the Wiz go from down 3-0 to now down 3-2 and Embiid is out, the conversation changes about what could happen in this series. And maybe, just maybe, in a season that has made no sense in so many ways, the Wizards make it mean even less sense by becoming, yes, the first team in NBA history to win a playoff series off having been down in the series 3-0. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. All right, guys, look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Well, it took a very long time. Three hours, 54 minutes to be exact. It was a wild game for sure. You never felt great about the game at any particular point necessarily. But... The Nationals did win. The five-game losing streak is over. An 11-6 win at the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday night to snap a five-game losing streak that in so many ways felt like a 15-game losing streak with how bad the Nationals offense has been recently. But the offense was not bad on Tuesday night. The offense was terrific. It was great to see that. More on that coming up momentarily. But as if the baseball gods will not allow Nationals fans to have a 24-hour period in which you just enjoy things and don't have to worry about anything. You had, also on Tuesday night, another instance of Steven Strasburg being hurt, and now we must wonder if he is in fact injured. He's almost certainly going to miss time once again. The Steven Strasburg saga continues. The nightmare 
that has been his career since the Nats re-signed him in December 2019 to that 70-year, $245 million contract continues. But before we get to the bad, can we please, pretty please, just enjoy the good for at least a little while? In fact, can we please, pretty please, hear from our guy, Davey Martinez, off his boys, finally putting together a victory. I'm proud of the boys. There you go, Davey. Be proud of your boys for at least one night. The Nationals offense, which has been so bad for so much of this season, was really good on Tuesday night. Nats scored 11 runs on 14 hits, worked three walks, went 4-16 of with runners in scoring position. The 14 hits consisted of two homers, two doubles, and 10 singles. And looky, looky, who had a big night on Tuesday night, Juan Soto. The man whom we have all been begging to hit for more power. The man who we know can be so good and yet had not been so good for so much of his season so far. At least not as good as we know he can be, right? There are, there's a different level of expectation with a guy like Juan Soto. And especially when it came to hitting for power, he had not been hitting for power since he'd come off the 10 day injured list. Well, Juan Soto on Tuesday night had his best game of the season. He went three for four. He had a homer. He had four runs batted in. He had four runs. Soto had a one-out single in the Nationals' one-run third, had a two-out, two-run single in the Nats' four-run fourth, had a leadoff seven-pitch walk in the Nats' three-run seventh, and had a one-out, two-run homer in the top of the eighth inning. Just the fifth home run for Juan Soto this season. His first home run since May 19th. Yes, not since May 19th had Juan Soto hit a home run. And you may recall that home run. It was a majestic blast. It came in a 4-3 win at the Chicago Cubs. It was a full count leadoff homer in the top of the fifth of that game on a ball that went off the right field scoreboard at Wrigley Field and on a ball that was hit high into the Chicago night off Soto having been down on his left knee. It was some kind of shot. It was viewed by more than a few as maybe the thing that was going to get Soto going from a standpoint of hitting for power this season, that turned out not to be the case, but it's a reminder of what Soto can be. Just like this game on Tuesday night is a reminder of what Soto can be. And I think Soto will ultimately end up being this this season. I don't think this is going to end up being a bad season for Juan Soto. He's Juan Soto. He is, to me, the best hitter on the planet. He hasn't looked that way for a good chunk of this season, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to end up being that way as this season goes on. But it was great to see Soto do as he did on Tuesday night. And it wasn't just Juan Soto who had a very good game. Ryan Zimmerman was the Nationals' number four batter, two for five with a two-run homer, a double. He did strike out twice, but two more extra base hits for Zimmerman. And how about the homer? A two-out, two-run shot on the very first pitch thrown by Braves reliever Edgar Santana in the Nationals' four-run fourth inning. Zimmerman ambushed Santana on not just the first pitch of the plate appearance, but on Santana's first pitch of his appearance in the game, and the result was that two-out, two-run shot in that Nationals' four-run fourth inning. And Zimmerman then added a one-out double on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the eighth inning after the Nats scored their two runs in that inning. So here's your updated slash line for Ryan Zimmerman. Yes, He's been limited in terms of playing time this season, but less has been more with Ryan Zimmerman. His batting average now is 319. His on-base percentage now is 347. His slugging percentage now is 593. That is outstanding. Ryan Zimmerman is hitting like it's 2008. You know, we're seeing like 0809 Ryan Zimmerman on display in the batter's box. 
so far this season. And you know what's so interesting to me right now about the extent to which Zimmerman's having success this year? For a while, it was notable. It was like, well, Ryan Zimmerman's doing well. He almost is as good as Trey Turner this season in terms of OPS. Ryan Zimmerman now blows away Trey Turner in terms of OPS. And that's not a shot at Trey Turner. Trey Turner's having a good season. Trey Turner has an 854 OPS on the season, but Zimmerman's OPS now is 941. 941 on the season. Ryan Zimmerman's OPS on the year is 87 points higher than Trey Turner's OPS. Like, just to give you an idea of how well Zimmerman has done so far this season, another good game for him on Tuesday night. It was also another good game for Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber was the Nats' number six batter. He went two for four with two RBI singles and a walk. Schwarber had a leadoff eight-pitch walk in the top of the second, despite having been down to the count at 1.12, had a two-out RBI single in the top of the third, had a one-out RBI single in the Nationals' three-run seventh inning for a 7-4 Nats lead. I tell you, that three-run seventh was big for the Nats. You got some big tack-on runs in a game in which you needed tack-on runs. Schwarber's hit was key in that regard. Kyle Schwarber has really come on over the last month or so. Kyle Schwarber in the month of May had an 857 OPS. He begins his month of June with a two-for-four night, two ribby singles, to go with a walk. Trey Turner just talked about him. Look, his numbers have calmed down a bit lately, but he's still having a very good season. He's just not hitting for as much power lately as he had been. But Trey was back out there as the Nats' number one batter, three for five with three singles on Tuesday night. Did get picked off. Was disappointing to see that. But Trey had a first pitch leadoff single and the Nats' one run first. Had a one out single on a one-two pitch in the top of the six, but then did get picked off at first base for the second out. And Trey had a leadoff single in the Nationals' two-run eighth inning. And his night could have been even better. He struck out on six pitches with runners on second and third and two outs in the top of the second. And Jan Gomes, another guy whose numbers have calmed down lately, did have a big hit on Tuesday night. One out, two-run double in the Nationals' three-run seventh for a 9-4 Nats lead. Again, those tack-on runs proved key. And they proved key because the Nationals gave up a whole lot of runs on Tuesday night. Six runs, to be exact. And a lot of that had to do with Davey Martinez having to lean on his bullpen because Steven Strasburg only lasted for one and a third innings. You know, it was great to see the Nationals offense do as it did. But truth be told, the most significant item from this game is what happened with Strasburg because that's the kind of thing that impacts not just this season, but could impact what's coming up for years to come. Steven Strasburg cannot stay healthy. And here we are now, two seasons into his contract, and he can't stay healthy. Strasburg on Tuesday night gave up the run that he allowed in the bottom of the first. Gave up a run on a leadoff four-pitch walk by Ronald Acuna Jr., a stolen base by Acuna, and a one-out RBI double by Ozzie Albies. Strasburg in the bottom of the second issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Abraham Almonte and then induced a ground out by William Contreras. It's not like Strasburg gave up, you know, six runs in an inning and a third on Tuesday night. Strasburg only gave up one run in an inning and a third, but it's how he looked as much as what he did. Strasburg got pulled after just 30 pitches. When it came to those 30 pitches, 14 were strikes. That's it. Fewer than half of the pitches that Strasburg threw on Tuesday night ended up being strikes. 14 strikes versus 16 balls. That goes along with what Strasburg had done over his first two starts since coming off 
the 10-day injured list. Steven Strasburg was on the 10-day IL for more than a month with what was labeled as right shoulder inflammation. And that's put him on the IL on April 18th, retroactive to April 15th. Didn't activate him until May 21st. His first two starts off the IL saw Steven Strasburg throw a total of 159 pitches. Just 88 of the 159 pitches were strikes. 88 strikes versus 71 balls. A near one-to-one ratio of strikes to balls. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to throw at least two strikes for every one ball, maybe even better than that. Strasburg had not been coming close to that. And then on Tuesday night, he has 14 strikes versus 16 balls. And maybe even more significant, his velocity was down. Steven Strasburg's four-seam fastball was regularly registering around just 89 miles per hour on Tuesday night. That is frightening. Davey Martinez saw this. Davey Martinez correctly got Strasburg the heck out of there, okay? When you see a big money pitcher, A, not throwing strikes, and B, topping out in terms of four-seam fastball velocity, you know, right around 90, and in some cases not even at 90, you get that guy out of there. Something's wrong. What exactly it is, you don't know, but you get him out of the game before things really unravel. And I'm not just talking about the game. I'm talking about from a health standpoint. Now, Davey, during his post-game Zoom press conference, said that Strasburg's right trapezius muscle tightened up, and Strasburg was to undergo an MRI exam. We have seen this before with Steven Strasburg. The trap, the neck, the upper back. I don't know that anybody has ever had more trapezius muscle issues than Steven Strasburg has had. So is it exactly the trap that's the problem? Is it maybe the trap acting as a symptom of a larger issue? We don't know. But Strasburg isn't right. The truth is he hasn't been right since the end of the 2019 season. And it's impossible to look at Steven Strasburg. It's impossible to talk about Steven Strasburg and not mention the contract. $245 million over seven years. The Nationals re-signed Strasburg to that deal in December 2019. And since that contract was signed, since Penn was put to paper, you cannot say anything other than the contract has been an absolute disaster. And maybe that changes. Hopefully that changes. But right now, you tell me if you're a Nationals fan, would you not undo that re-signing in a heartbeat at this point? 2020, Steven Strasburg made just two starts, underwent season-ending surgery last August 26th to alleviate carpal tunnel neuritis in his right hand. This season, Steven Strasburg has made just five starts. He was on the 10-day injured list for more than a month with right shoulder inflammation. In his third start back, he has to exit the start after one and a third innings due to tightness in his right trapezius muscle. And who knows what the MRI exam reveals? Who knows what the plan of action ends up being? I would be stunned, stunned if Steven Strasburg made his next start. I think he's going to be out. I think he's going back on the IL. And I don't know when we end up seeing him again this season, if we end up seeing him again this season. We just don't know, okay? I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but you just don't know with this guy. And, you know, you think about the circumstances under which the Nationals gave Strasburg that contract. He was coming off World Series MVP in 2019. He was coming off a very good 2019 season in which he made 33 regular season starts and, in fact, led the National League with 209 regular season innings. You know, his 2019 was not just about the postseason. It was also about the regular season. But Steven Strasburg, prior to 2019, you look at what he'd done the previous four seasons, 2015 through 2018, he had averaged just 24.3 regular season starts per year. So the Nationals, off the euphoria of winning the World Series, give a seven-year, $245 million contract 
to a pitcher who, A, already was in his 30s, B, had accumulated a lot of mileage on his body, and C, had a substantial injury history. You look back at all this and you're like, man, how could the Nats have done this? How were all of these red flags ignored? And the thing is, people were on board with this resigning. I was on board with the resigning. I'm not going to be a phony about this. I did not yell and scream about the Nationals re-signing Steven Strasburg. You know, it felt to me like, hey, you know what? Steven Strasburg has figured some things out. He is an all-time postseason legend for what he did in 2019. And, you know, it's not just 2019. Steven Strasburg overall in his postseason career is one of the best pitchers ever in baseball, right? 2017, you go back to what he did in that NLDS against the Chicago Cubs. Masterful with Steven Strasburg in his Game 4 performance in that series. But the truth is, right now, the contract is an abject failure. And guys like Strasburg, older guys, guys with mileage, guys with injury histories, they don't all of a sudden become Iron Men. You know, it's like, it's not like he's all of a sudden going to become Max Scherzer in terms of durability or LeVon Hernandez in terms of durability. Like, no, guys like Strasburg either stay the same or they get less durable. They don't become all of a sudden more durable. So here we are, year two of a 70-year, $245 million deal. You know, it really does make you appreciate Max Scherzer and the extent to which he has not only lived up to his contract, but really has exceeded the value of his contract. Seven years, $210 million. And you think about this too, Steven Strasburg is in year two of a 70-year, $245 million deal. Patrick Corbin is in year three of a six-year, $140 million deal. Neither contract looks very good right now. Now does it? Now things can change. Yes, they can. And hopefully they do with both guys. But right now, you tell me if you're a Nats fan, would you not undo the Strasburg contract? Would you not undo the Patrick Corbin contract? This is what we talk about with the Nationals. It's not just about this season. It's about a bigger picture that is concerning. The Nationals farm system is not in good shape. The Nationals do not have much in the way of promising young pitching. They do have these two guys, Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge. Hopefully those guys pan out. They better pan out because, boy, the Nationals in trouble if those guys don't work out. But you also have potentially two albatrosses here in Strasburg with his contract and Corbin with his contract. We'll hope for the best with Strasburg, but I don't know how you can be optimistic right now with the fact that this guy just cannot stay healthy. And you have to wonder, like, is the body really truly starting to fail Strasburg even more so than the body had in previous seasons? Well, Strasburg only lasting for an inning and a third meant that Davey had to use his bullpen a lot again. Six Nationals relievers ended up being utilized on Tuesday night, and the results were mixed. The six Nats relievers combined to allow five runs in seven and two-thirds innings. You know, it was a tough spot that the bullpen was put in. Uh, Austin Voth relieved Strasburg off Strasburg lasting for just one and a third innings. You know, Voth overall did a good job until the Braves three-run fifth, and then things fell apart. Uh, Voth tossed three scoreless innings, so looking really good, but then did give up the two runs in that Braves three-run fifth. He issued a one-out five-pitch walk, a pinch hitter, Johan Camargo, then gave up a one-out full count, two-run homer by Ronald Acuna Jr., all things considered, I think Vote did do a pretty good job. He also had a hit in the game, provided a leadoff infield single on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats 4-run fourth as Davey Martinez again had the pitcher batting in the eighth spot. I cannot stand that. But now that Victor Robles is back, we're back to doing the thing of Robles batting in the ninth spot, starting pitcher batting in the eighth spot. But anyway, Vote I thought, overall did do a good job, but he did give up a couple of runs. Sam Clay faced three batters in that Braves three-run fifth, retired the first battery face for the second out, but then gave up back-to-back 
two-out singles. Wander Suero officially tossed one into third scoreless innings with two strikeouts, although he did allow an inherited runner to score. Suero came into the game with runners on first and third and two outs in the bottom of the fifth, gave up a two-out full count RBI single to Dansby Swanson, despite him having been down in the count of 1.02. Daniel Hudson gave up a run in the bottom of the seventh. Leadoff double by Ronald Acuna Jr., stolen base by Acuna, and a two-out RBI single by Austin Riley. Starling Castro then dropped a first-pitch infield pop-up for a fielding error that was terrible, put runners on second and third with two outs, but Hudson, to his credit, did then strike out Abraham Almonte on five pitches for the third out. Paolo Espino tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth, and Brad Hand gave up a run in the bottom of the ninth. Leadoff single by Ronald Acuna Jr., despite him having been down in the count at 1.12. Seven-pitch walk of Freddie Freeman, and then a one-out RBI sack fly by Austin Riley. So a lot was happening in this game. The Braves were getting guys on base. The Braves were scoring runs. The Nationals, in a lot of ways, needed every run the Nats ended up scoring, even though they ended up winning. Uh, by five runs. It just felt that way. If you watch the game, this was a slow game, a plotting game. Again, it was nearly a four-hour ball game. Uh, this was back and forth. You know, you never necessarily felt great about things, but the Nationals, to their credit, were able to grind this one out and get a much-needed win. But there was a cost to the win, and there's a lot to be thinking about here moving forward, not just in the smaller picture of the season, but in the bigger picture of where you're at as a franchise. Again, Steven Strasburg cannot stay healthy, and this is only year two of the seven-year, $245 million deal. Game three at the Braves Wednesday night at 7.20. John Lester versus Drew Smiley. Uh, hopefully, this is a second consecutive good game for the Nationals offense. Smiley is not having a good season. 5.95 ERA over eight starts. And the Nats are going with John Lester on three days rest. John Lester will be starting on three days rest for just the fourth time in his major league career, and that's regular season and postseason. Uh, Lester is, of course, the oldest pitcher in the Nationals rotation, but he has been an innings eater in his career. The Nats are in a tight spot here because they don't have an obvious starter for Wednesday night's game. Eric Fetty is still on the mend uh, of being on the COVID-19 injured list, and the Nationals, you know, they don't have a lot in the way of guys who they can summon from the minors to start. And now, especially that you've used all these relievers in this win on Tuesday night, uh, you really do need a guy like John Lester to start on three days rest. So he's going to suck it up and we'll see what he can give the Nats. But I mean, I don't think anyone's anticipating John Lester going, you know, eight, nine innings on Wednesday night. So this figures to be another game in which you have to lean on the bullpen. And then, oh, by the way, starting Thursday afternoon's game number four at the Braves is Patrick Corbin. And who knows what to expect from him. But if Corbin has another one of his rough outings, you may need a whole lot from the bullpen in that game as well. The Nats are in a tight spot right now when it comes to their pitching situation. And so much of this starts with Steven Strasburg having given the Nationals next to nothing so far this year. And I don't say that as an insult on Strasburg. This isn't about Strasburg like being soft or anything like that. It's about a guy who has a hard time staying healthy. It's not his fault. It's just the way that things are. And it's costing the Nats. And it may end up costing the Nats for years to come. We'll see. But the Nats did get the win on Tuesday night. They needed that. Nats now 22 and 29 on the season. So the Nationals on Tuesday night snapped their five-game losing streak, and the Orioles on Tuesday night snapped their 14-game losing streak. Yes, the Orioles' 14-game losing streak finally, mercifully, is over. A 7-4 win over the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night. And so, 
for the first time in more than two weeks, we can play the Great Joe Angel. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, they are, and I'm not sure the next time we'll be able to play that. The Orioles notched their first win since a 10-6 victory over the New York Yankees at Camden Yards on May 16th. Yes, the Orioles went from May 17th through May 31st without a win. Tuesday night's win, just the Orioles' third win over the team's last 24 games. The O's improved to 3-21. and since their 15 and 16 start. This is not a good team. This is, of course, a tanking team. The O's now are 18 and 37 on the season. The 14-game losing streak tied for the franchise's second longest losing streak since the franchise moved to Baltimore to begin the 1954 season. The longest losing streak for the franchise since coming to Baltimore, the 21-game losing streak that began the Orioles' 1988 season. Now, what continues to be funny about things right now with the Orioles is the starting pitching has actually been pretty good lately and was good again in the 7-4 win over the Twins on Tuesday night. Bruce Zimmerman in this game was good. It was actually good for a third time in four outings. Two runs in five and a third innings on seven strikeouts. He gave up six hits, a homer, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks, but he threw 57 strikes versus 30 balls on 87 pitches. And you look at what we've gotten from Zimmerman here lately. So he was good on Tuesday night. He was good in his previous start, the 5-1 loss at the Chicago White Sox last Thursday night, one run in five innings, six strikeouts. He did struggle in a 12-9 Orioles loss at the Nationals on May 22nd, five runs in three innings. But Zimmerman's prior outing to that one was a relief appearance when he relieved the Orioles opener, reliever Adam Pletko, in a 10-6 win. Yes, that win over the Yankees at Camden Yards on May 16th. Uh, Zimmerman in that game allowed one run in five and two-thirds innings on six strikeouts. So he's been good lately here, and Zimmerman's a guy to monitor. You know, when we talk about what is there to care about with the Orioles this season in this tanking season You want to follow these younger players and see how they're doing, see how they're developing. Well, the O's acquired Bruce Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent Kevin Gaussman and Darren O'Day to the Braves. This season is Zimmerman's age 26 season. He's a lefty. We'll see if he can be a piece for the team moving forward, but he's been better lately. Uh, The Orioles got some good offensive performances on Tuesday night. Cedric Mullins, who's had such a good season, starting center fielder, number one batter. He had a triple. He had a single. He had a stolen base. Uh, Mullins' numbers have come down lately, but he's still having a very good season. 299 batting average, 363 on base percentage, 479 slugging percentage. Trey Mancini, boom, boom, on Tuesday night, had himself another good game. Starting DH number two batter, had an RBI single on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the first, had a one-out RBI single on a 1-2 pitch in the Orioles' 4-1 third, had a leadoff five-pitch walk in the bottom of the seventh. Mancini on the season now, 284 batting average, 360 on base percentage, 518 slugging percentage. And Ryan Mountcastle, who's had some good games here lately, had another good game on Tuesday night. He was the Orioles' starting first baseman at number six batter. Two-out RBI double on a 1-2 pitch in the Orioles' 4-1 third. Leadoff single on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the eighth. So for at least one night, there were positive vibes with the Orioles. Again, it's not about wins and losses in this tanking season for the O's. But if you care about wins and losses, and I know a good number of you do, then Tuesday night 
was a good night. And for me, the takeaways are Zimmerman, good again. Mullins, good again. Mancini, good again. Mountcastle was good. That's good to see. You want a guy like Orion Mountcastle to really blossom as this season goes on. Game three for the O's against the Twins at Camden Yards. Wednesday night at 7.05, Matt Harvey versus Randy Dobnak. And is Harvey pitching for a spot in the Orioles rotation? I do wonder about this. Harvey's been really bad lately. Harvey over his last four starts, 23 earned runs in 13 and two-thirds innings. He had done well. First seven starts, he had an ERA of 360. The last four starts, not so good. We'll see what Wednesday night provides with Harvey facing the Twins at Camden Yards. But the losing streak is no more for the O's. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Loaded show on Thursday's installment of the podcast. In-depth react to whatever happens in Wizards 76ers Game 5 in Philadelphia on Wednesday night in the first round. Did the Wizards get a step closer toward becoming the first team ever to win an NBA playoff series off trailing in at 3-0? Or is the Wizards season over? I'll have a ton for you on the Washington football team as Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are due to speak on Wednesday after Washington's OTA practice. And I'll talk plenty of Nationals and Orioles off whatever goes down on Wednesday night for the Nats game three at the Atlanta Braves for the O's game three against the Minnesota Twins at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Neither the Nats nor the O's are mired in a losing streak anymore. We can at least say that. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you on Thursday. I'm proud of your boys. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com